We are starting a new series today. Isn't that good? Yeah, we're going to open the book of Philippians, or the letter. And um, yeah, I heard a few people say, yes. That was, I hope that was, yeah, it's a really encouraging book. It's challenging as well. And I've been wanting to do Philippians for a long time, and I felt like this is our opportunity before we get into Christmas series. I can't believe we're even saying the word Christmas, but apparently <laughs> that's coming up. And so for the next, I don't know, six or seven weeks, we'll make our way through and see what God has for us. Because here's the background for this letter. It was a church in Philippi started by Paul and a local woman. Her name was Lydia. So Paul was on his uh, second missionary journey. It was around 50 AD. It's claimed that this is probably the first church ever in Europe, which is interesting, isn't it? And in fact, if you want to read some of that history, you go to Acts chapter 16 and you'll just see what Paul says there. It was also in this city that Paul encountered a lot of opposition. You know, he, did what, he was out there spreading the gospel around. In fact, it was so bad that he ended up in prison. And at the end of that time, they said to him, can you just leave town, please, and don't come back? So it was hard for him. But he got this church off the ground. He actually visited six years later when he was doing his third missionary journey as well. The letter we now have in our Bibles, so we've got to think about this, it was written to those, to that church. It was written to believers, probably written by uh, Paul when he was in prison in Rome uh, later in life, and Timothy, as someone mentioned this morning, I can't remember who that was, or maybe I'm, maybe I'm th- imagining things, but Timothy actually, oh, I was in our prayer time earlier, that's right. Um, yeah, we, we, sometimes we forget that Timothy's actually co-author in some of these letters, so he does get a little bit neglected. So it's, it's from him as well. But it's to the believers in Philippi where Christianity, it was new. They were definitely a small minority in this city. You know, it's not really a letter to unbelievers, although, of course, God can use his word in any way to all people. But just think about the, the original audience uh, as we go through this over the coming weeks. It translates to us, I guess I'm trying to say, you know, as the church today as well. And yes, of course, there's a large time gap and cultural divide between that church and us here today. But absolutely, um, God speaks to us through this, through this word and we can mine it and see how it applies to us. So Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, it'll be on the screen behind me or you can follow along if you've got your Bibles with you. I do like to read from the NLT. Verse 1, this letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. You know, we talked about what that means when we did, I think it was our James series, actually. So if you ever wonder why why Paul would choose those words, you can go back and watch that if you want. I'm writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and deacons. So it's to all of us. That's good to know. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make requests for all of you with joy, for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it it until now. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favour of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you, and I long to be with you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. I pray that your love will overflow more and more, and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding 
For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. What a great introduction from Paul and Timothy. My first impression, this is a good church. In fact, I think, you know, I think this is a great church. You know, Paul not only acknowledges that, I th- you know, it seems it's coming out through his letter. He's got affection for this, for this group of people. You think about some of the letters that he wrote to other churches. You know, there's some tough love in there, but this starts off with a lot of affection. You know, in verse 3, just thinking of this church leads Paul to give thanks to God. And just thinking of them, oh, I'm going to give thanks to God. I hope people would do that for us. Verse 4, when he prays for the church, he's filled with joy. That's pretty good if our church made one of the greatest apostles ever to be filled with joy. In verse 7, he says the church has a special place in his heart. And then the same verse, he says that this church has special favor with God. Sounds like a good church, doesn't it? Paul, in verse 8, Paul declares his love for this church. He says, I long to be with you. Pretty good when you think about, as I said, some of the tough love he often dishes out. If he was to write a letter to us today, I hope we'd get some of that in our introduction to the letter that was written to the Hills Church. So I'm kind of interested to know what makes this a good church. You know, why does it fill Paul with joy? Well, Philippians is probably not an exhaustive list of what makes a good church or would make it healthy, but there's some good stuff in us, so we're going to consider it today. So here we go. The first thing, this church knew or was known for their outreach. You go back to verse 4. When I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy, for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ. So he's acknowledging it. This church is on about that. They're on about spreading the gospel, despite the fact that there was persecution at this time. And it brings Paul joy when the church is active about bringing people to Jesus. There's a lot of things... There's a lot of things that we know that we in the church can get preoccupied with that can distract us from one of the main things that Jesus left us to do, the job he gave us. You know, we get preoccupied with making ourselves comfortable. We get preoccupied with all the internal workings of the church. And I love the internal workings, by the way. But we can get preoccupied with them and get distracted. We can get preoccupied sometimes I'm just thinking about the wider church, you know, disagreeing over styles and preferences and traditions and, and some theology. And, and, and some of those things we have to talk about, of course, but we neglect the thing that Jesus gave us to do. You know, we can get preoccupied getting upset with our government. And, okay, sometimes it's justified. And sometimes we, we, we have to fight for injustice, especially for, those, for the forgotten people in our community, but sometimes I worry that, you know, we put a lot of energy into culture wars and politics, and maybe, again, sometimes that's okay and we should do that, but the energy that goes into the job that Jesus gave us to do, not as much, you know, to make disciples. Comparatively speaking, you know, Mark McCrindle did a survey during um, the the height of the pandemic of unchurched Australians, and 46% of them said to him, they've been thinking more about spiritual matters. And I, got, and I thought, when I read that, I thought, I hope we as a church aren't missing that opportunity 
and putting all of our energy into the wrong things. Got a bit quiet in here. Is everyone okay? Paul was, was raving about the church in Philippi because like him, they did focus on the gospel. I bet you their government leaders were doing terrible things. And yes, sometimes we've got to stand up and we've got to make our voices known. I'm not against that sort of stuff, but I'm saying it can, there's, there's a main, we've got to keep the main thing the main thing. Let's be like that. Stay focused on being a church that actively opens doors, particularly to the seekers. You know, 46% of unchurched Australians are thinking about spiritual matters. There's actually seekers out there. You know, it's not just the noisy ones who are, who are railing against the church or, or Christianity. They're there, but then there's tens of thousands of people out there who are wondering about life. In the next few weeks, I want to encourage you to consider, you know, maybe I, maybe I could be inviting a friend to our Christmas carol service. In term one next year, we're probably going to do another round of the marriage course here, you know, and, and you're welcome if you're married here um, to do that if you'd like to, but I also want to open that up to um, those around us who aren't even part of the church because it's actually a really good course. And, you know, it, and, it, and not only that, it, it helps us, it can connect people into something deeper. And so there's opportunities coming up. And then in term two, we'll do alpha again. And every alpha that we've done has actually made an impact on people who are seeking. Keep thinking about this, church. All right, number two. And it's kind of, it, it's similar to number one, but they never wavered. Verse 5 says, For you have been in my partners in spreading the good news about Christ. And then he says, From the time you first heard until now. So they, this church didn't stop. No wonder it filled Paul with joy. You know, they stay on track. They don't waver right from that very first moment, you know, all the way up to whenever they got this letter, years and years later. Staying focused on the main thing is hard. And to be honest, you know, let's, we all know churches, we, we do go up and down in these things and we do waver. Making vision stick and keeping the main thing the main thing is hard, but it can be done. You know, I think about, I talk about Alfred a lot and Nicky Gumbel a lot. He, I admire him a lot, but I think about Nicky. He just retired from his, uh, his role as vicar at HTB in London, but he did Alpha consistently for 30 years and was involved you know, even though he was part of a church of thousands of people, he was involved in nearly all of them, had a small group and, and um, you know, consistently never wavered in his calling to bring the gospel to people. I think of Brother Andrew, who sadly passed away a couple of weeks ago. You know, he, he started Open Doors and he never wavered right up until he left this earth and he's now with, with Jesus in heaven um, but he never wavered, and he, had, he started that great organization that supported persecuted Christians everywhere, but they spread because they were spreading the good news everywhere. Never wavered. And, you know, we, we read last week about the parable of the talents where, where the master comes back, Jesus comes back, and, and he says, what have you done with what I've given you? He says, well done, good and faithful servants. Those two people, I, I just know that's the words they're going to hear. For the church in, in uh, Philippi, from the moment they heard, they stayed on track. And I have no doubt this church could have been tempted with distractions. I have no doubt there could have been opportunities to descend, maybe into get disunity or getting sidetracked. But it seems, and I'm, I mean, I'm only taking it from a few sentences that Paul wrote in the letter, but it seems that 
they were good at, at not wavering and staying on, on, on line. And Paul commends them for it. All right, number three, the way they lived just brought glory to God. We go back to verse 9. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. You know, there's a lot in that. You know, it kind of sounds a bit flowery, perhaps. Well, let's unpack it just a little bit. And I know it's a prayer that Paul's praying for the church, but I think he sees these things in them already because he says, I'm praying for more of what's already evident. So here's what I saw in, in, in those few verses there. Firstly, their love overflowed. And I love the word overflow. I think there's a store called overflow, isn't there? Oh, there used to be. Okay. But I love the word overflow. And so Paul says it first. Love, and it overflowed. Their main attribute of a follower, being a follower of Christ, that brings glory to God is overflowing love for others. You know, more and more, increasingly. So question to ponder for everyone here today. Do you find your love for others is increasing as you live your life with Jesus more and more over time? Do you... Do you notice that in you? Because it, it seems it increases to a level in us that it starts to actually overflow out of us. You know, when something overflows, everything around it gets wet. You know the old days with the cars and you'd accidentally pop um, the cap off the radiator when it was still hot? That was overflow, right? Everything got wet. There's like a there's pressure inside, and it just has to flow out of us. When we overflow with love, it spills over, and people around us get wet, if you know what I mean. They feel it. They notice it. And a healthy church is filled with people overflowing with love. It's so good to be part of that. And I see it here. But, you know, the word in us today is to ask the question, how are we going? Do we notice an increase? You know, if loving people is your struggle, I suggest you begin the daily work of adjusting your approach to people. You know, adjust our thinking. Recognize emotions that don't reflect this love that Paul's talking about. Recognize them. Recognize inward self-centeredness. Try to see things through other people's eyes. Love is expressed from a desire for others just to do well. I want you to do well. I love you. It's expressed with care and kindness and affection. You know, 1 Corinthians 13 has a long list of what love looks like. It's patient and it's quick to forgive and it keeps no record of wrongs and it's not proud and it's not boastful. And if you struggle with that, you know, with affection and things like that, photocopy that chapter in your Bible or leave it open or something like that and, and read it often. Maybe even every day if you have to. Write some notes as you read each word. You know, it's not proud or boastful. Write something down. Go, God, what it, just re- search my heart. Search my heart today, God. Write some notes. What's he saying to you? Because I, 
The thing I've noticed lately about doing my devotions with a notebook and pen is when I start writing, God just keeps speaking. It's a good way to not be distracted, by the way. And he often speaks to me about little things that maybe I've said or done and stuff like that, refining me, filling me, hopefully with love that overflows to others. You know, take all those verbs that you find in 1 Corinthians 13 and just apply them. They start to become part of you. The Holy Spirit will empower you to do that. Second thing about how they lived from verse 9 is that they grew in knowledge and understanding. And if overflowing with love is the challenge we experience in our heart, you know, growing in knowledge and understanding of Christ is the challenge that we sometimes experience in our minds. And, and again, this one t- it, these things always take a bit of discipline, don't they? There, there is a deep, a, a deep, deep theology and depth to God and his word that can take a lifetime of study. But the beauty of it is, it's not just about what we then put up here. It translates down into here. Even if we you know, never fully understand all that there is to know about God, and we, and we can't actually because of our... He's too big for us to fully understand because of his size and his power and his mystery. There's so much for us to, to know about him and, and, and what he wants from us. Paul says you must keep growing in your knowledge and understanding. You know, grapple with the word. Read and dig deep. Embrace it. We need to think deeply. We can't just assume that we, you know, what we know already is, is, is correct and what God wants for us. We have to have an open mind and be challenged as we read his word and understand more. Remember the starting point for trans- transformation. We talked about this in another series. It's, it's the renewal of how we think of our mind. And I agree with Leanne, who was here last week. She said that there's often a disconnect between what we know and what comes down to the heart. It doesn't always transfer very well. But if the mind is not healthy and the mind doesn't understand God and his truth and his way for us, then there's no chance for our heart. So it's very important we do that. The third thing they did and how they lived was they displayed the fruit of the Spirit. That was from verse 11. Yeah, Paul says the fruit of their salvation, but we know the Holy Spirit comes to us when we're saved, and it's the Holy Spirit when we invite and ask and are filled and surrender to the Holy Spirit's work in our life that actually produce this change and this fruit that comes out of us. A Christian or a church that has no evidence of the fruit of the Spirit is in trouble. You know, if there's no fruit, it probably means there's no repentance, and if there's no repentance, we know what that probably means. This is the sign of a healthy church. There's just fruit everywhere, like a big basket of it. And it's um, ripe, you know. People are smiling. There's joy, hopefully. People are kind and generous. There's patience. There's generosity. Or you said that one. There's a lack of selfishness. There's compassion and care for others. Anger is rare. Hugs are common when there's no pandemic. Understanding just flows. Prayers are offered all over the place. Someone's sharing a difficulty. I'm going to pray for you or I'm going to help you with something. Occasionally, someone might feel that one of those things is missing from the church. Here's what I say. Please lead the way. You know, if you think maybe friendliness or or something like that is missing, be the most friendly person in the church. If you think generosity is missing, be the most generous. If you think... Joy is missing. 
You be the most joyful. And don't wait for the others. Be the example. Fruit should be delicious. I hope. <laughs> I know sometimes there's a fruit that gets put on your plate that you're unsure of. But often when we just try them, we get pretty good. Let's try more fruit. There's never too much fruit of the Spirit in the church. The fourth thing about how they lived is that Jesus literally changed their character. You know, that was verse 11. When it comes down to it, God's Word, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, you know, the fear of God, the close walk we have with Jesus, all of these result in, in change. Who we are at our core, our very character changes. Besides our salvation and relationship with Jesus, a growing, developing, changing character is the outcome of, the, of our spiritual journey. And, you know, it's God's hope for us. It's God's hope for us, holy people. Don't get me wrong on this. The church should be filled with all kinds of people, all different people on different stages of this spiritual journey. So we're going to run into people in the church who are at a different stage to us. And that's a good thing. But we're all growing. We're all growing. It's not about being a church filled with entirely sanctified people. I hope I can still say that and be a Wesleyan pastor. But when the church is healthy, these things we've talked about today are evident. They're evident. They brought Paul joy. I reckon he loved this church. I'd say Jesus loved this church. They preached the gospel. They reached out with it. They, they never wavered. You know, even though, as we're going to find out as we go through this book, there's persecution and difficulties, they pushed deeper. Their lives brought glory to God. Just the way they lived. They responded and changed and lived for him. Verse 6 says, I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. The key to all of this is to be careful that we just don't strive in our own strength. It's God working in me and through me. You know, my part, to be honest, is to give God me, all of me. My job is to give God the space and the time to do that work that he so much wants to do in me. It's my job to exercise faith and fully trust God with all of my life. And according to Paul, the work he is doing in me is good. He's doing a good work in us. And I encourage you today, give yourself over to Jesus completely. Every day, allow him to do his good work in you. Ready for when Jesus returns. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for this wonderful letter that's been preserved over thousands of years. A really um, encouraging, inspiring letter that you made sure got into our hands today to lift us up as a church, as your church, 
And God, we receive this word today. And as we go, I pray that the words would just resonate in our minds and in our hearts. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would be that church that stays focused and doesn't waver, that we would live lives that bring glory to you, that we would be filled with that love you talked about that overflows and spills out of us around and into other people's lives around us. God, fill us with your love, we pray today. But Lord, we also recognize that this is not in our strength. It's not I. It's Christ in me. And so we surrender afresh to you today, hearing these words. And we open up our hearts and our minds and to say, Lord Jesus, come. Enter into those spaces that need you more and more as we have less and less of ourselves. We fully give ourselves to you in the name of Jesus today. Amen.